This episode is brought to you by who else but Odeon. I love an Odeon, especially an Odeon Lux. Whether on the red carpet at a movie premiere or popping down to my local cinema, the feeling is always the same. Pulling open the door to hear the huge, spine-tingling Dolby Atmos sound bellowing from within. The irresistible glow of the gigantic 4K iSense screen drawing you towards it, four times sharper to capture every detail. Relaxing into those luxurious reclining seats and feeling that sense of anticipation as you excitedly sip on your favourite tipple before emerging at the end of the film trying to put into words what you've just experienced. It's nothing short of magic. You can book your Odeon Luxe experience at odeon.co.uk or on the Odeon app. They say we make movies better and I couldn't agree more. And just before we head to our fantastic virtual cinema, how would you like a pair of tickets to head to a fantastic and very real cinema? Because the lovely people at Odeon have handed us a pair of tickets to give away every show. So if you'd like the chance to head to your nearest Odeon and enjoy a movie, all you need to do is leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I'll explain more at the end of the show. Finally, if you like to watch your interviews rather than listen, you can find the full video interviews in glorious Technicolor for every single guest over on our Trip to the Movies Patreon. And if you want a little taster of what they're like, why not subscribe to our Trip to the Movies YouTube channel? Okay, back to this episode. If you're ready, let's do this. Hello and welcome to A Trip to the Movies, the podcast where each week a special guest takes us on an incredible journey as they curate their perfect night out at our fantastic virtual cinema. This week we are joined by a brilliant actor who has recently been seen in the fourth season of BBC Three's Bad Education and has just appeared in Netflix's hugely successful ghost hunting series, Lockwood & Co., taking us on today's Trip to the Movies. Please welcome the very talented Ali Hadji Heshmati. Ali, hello, how are you? I'm very good, thanks. Thanks for that amazing introduction. That was very kind. Oh, don't be silly, man. You are busy at the moment. You are prolific on our screens. <laughs> are you Are you enjoying this period? Yeah, it's been, it's been a lot of fun, um, particularly to see that the shows, the two shows are resonating with a lot of people. Oh, yeah, they are. Yeah, they are. Well, we're going to get into it, uh, especially Lockwood & Co, because um, that ticks a lot of boxes for me personally. Uh, but first of all, I'm right in thinking you've been obsessed with film as a medium from a, a very young age. For sure, yeah, hundred percent. What were the, what were the films that inspired you as as a, a young kid? What sort of age are we talking when you fell in love with the medium? I'd say when I, I pretty much as early as I remember, I really really loved like the early Pixar films and Spielberg's Indiana Jones films, and then I think when I was around the age of fourteen, fifteen. I saw The Godfather and mm. that just kind of, that, that spent me into like an acceleration of just wanting to see as many films as possible. And so how old were you when you saw Indiana Jones? Just to, not to, not to dismiss The Godfather, but how old were you when yes. you saw the Indiana Jones movies? Oh, I must've been, I was very, like I think seven and I saw the first three and I, I, I loved all three of them so much. Particularly, oddly enough, The Last Crusade. I've really loved the third one, which I feel like is a controversial thing. But which one is your favorite? Uh, it's The Last Crusade. So literally. Really? Yeah. The, you, the, you, there's no shade on The Last Crusade. I genuinely think. I know Raiders is a lot of people's favorite. Templar Doom yeah. less so. The Last Crusade. Oh, the addition of Mr. Connery. Wow. I know, right? Yeah. It's, it's brilliant. So 
just hypothetically speaking, were you not absolutely petrified by the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark watching it at that age, melting faces and all that? For sure. I mean, but actually, I don't know why the, the melting of um, Last Crusade. Oh, did you say the, melt- the ending of Last Crusade? Or did you say no, no, no. Because no. I know because there's a similar thing. Someone basically goes from human to bone. Uh, but let's yeah. do Ra- Raiders is the one that I think stuck with me more. Yeah, no, but for, for me, it was um, actually the the, third, the ending of the third film when the guy gets melted. and But also the, the pulling of the hearts in Temple of Doom, <laughs> that got yeah. me. That was like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. yeah. The reason I think the end of The Last Crusader softened slightly yeah. for me is because it's got that good gag at the end where the knight goes, he chose poorly. And you're like, <laughs> okay, end on a gag and I'm happy. No, I get that. So when did you actually decide, as opposed to just loving film, that acting might be something that you wanted to pursue? I'd say probably around the age of when I was 12, yeah. And that was just from auditioning for a school play, just kind of on a whim, hmm. and then really enjoying it like to, to, to a quite a crazy extent. And then I just found myself wanting to do as much acting as possible at school and then the, the possibility of being able to do that as a career was something that seemed so out of kind of the realistic realm of what I could do. Um, that it just, it, yeah, it became a dream that I, I didn't really think could be a reality. What, uh, what was the play? Do you remember the first play that you actually did at school? It was. It was um, The Canterbury Tales by Chaucer, which sounds a bit daunting, but they made it like a lot more, maybe easier to connect with for 12-year-olds. Like they made it a lot more comedic okay at my school we did Bugsy Malone I think that was the first oh, school nice. play that I remember um who, seeing. who did you play oh I, I I wasn't in it have you ever done Bugsy Malone yourself I, I, I did in year six yeah who'd you play I, I was Bugsy yeah that's no way the pinnacle, the pinnacle of my CV <laughs> then and then. oh that's great so you a start from day one. Um, and here we are now talking about uh, Lockwood & Co. Love the series. No spoilers, though. I'm about five. I think there's, I'm just over halfway through. I think there's eight episodes. I'm five in. Um, nice. For anyone who hasn't discovered it on Netflix yet, give us a little bit of the setup because it's quite a unique world. Yeah, so it's a world where in the 80s, ghosts started appearing on a mass scale. And the kind of trick with this ghost story is if ghosts come in contact with you, they kill you. And that's what makes the stakes so interesting. The other thing is the only people who can sense these ghosts are teenagers. So teenagers are forced to fight these ghosts to detain them to avoid people dying on a mass scale. Our series focuses on three teenagers who are in the only agency in London without any adult supervision. And that's Lockman Co. It's it's fascinating, isn't it? Because you watch it, and it is you know three young leads um, who you know are the backbone of this show, and yet the themes that these kids are forced to deal with are very adults in nature because of the nature of their job. I, I completely agree. I mean, that's what really s- struck me initially was the fact that it may be labelled as YA, but actually the stakes are survival there's kind of this backdrop of, you know, sinister corporations and the untrustworthiness of the government, um, which they also hint at throughout the series. So it really plays with kind of more adult themes, but um, blends them with these three teenagers at the center of it. So it's a nice balance, I think. Uh, I agree. I agree. I, you know, 
YA can sometimes be a dirty word. It's like, oh, well, that's not for me because it's young adults. But actually, yeah. this this is this is a, a far more grown up, and there's a lot of humor in it. It's um, no, it's a really great series. It's based on the first two, I believe, this series, two novels yeah. from Jonathan Stroud. Um, tell us who your character is. So I play George Kareem, who's the head researcher and chef at Portland <laughs> Road of the agency. Um, he has to research the cases of the ghost to find out what type of ghost they might be, how dangerous they could be, um, so the team can do their best to detain it. And he he grows on, not just the viewer, but he grows on Lucy throughout the series. And I, I found a very funny quote from Lucy. She goes, he's Lockwood's weird mate with zero social skills. That's that's a pretty fair. <laughs> George, yeah, George, George doesn't have very good social skills, and he also doesn't really have a filter. Like, he yeah. would just speak or do things without realizing that they're quite awkward or unusual um but that was such a fun thing to play to be honest because you could really have a lot of fun in those moments i bet i bet and the chemistry between the three of you is great i imagine a part of that is helped by the the person who has adapted these books for screen which is someone who i think is is brilliant the director and writer of attack the block um a man who i grew up watching on the adam and joe show uh, mr joe cornish how yeah. has it been working with him on this? It's been it's been such a pleasure because, I mean, talking about just loving films, Joe is an encyclopedia when it comes to films, and that was always some a kind of way that we communicated in the sense that I remember when we were first kind of asking each other, okay, who the hell is George? He would say, George is the type of person who stays up all night and watches. Evil Dead 1 and 2, Army of Darkness, the Halloween films, Friday the 13th. And that suddenly made me understand a lot about George. Um, but yeah, he's so funny and such a pleasure to work with. I mean, he's clearly uh, bringing out the best in this series because it's a great series. It's a supernatural series. Like you said, it's a world in which ghosts are real. What was your view of ghosts before you started filming and has it changed from making this series? Are ghosts real? <laughs> well. The thing is, we'd end up filming it in very kind of spooky locations because we'd be in like an abandoned mansion or like a cemetery at midnight. So it, it does add to the atmosphere about, you know, ghosts being around. I, I personally, I, I don't believe in ghosts, but I, I definitely am closer to after filming this series. You have an open mind. So I, do you? I, I, do you? I I need to have a first hand experience. That, that, that that's okay. that's my basis. I can listen to every argument, and you know I have an open mind. But until I see something that I cannot fully explain, at that point I'll be like, "Yup, they're real." <laughs> I'm with you. Yeah, just evidence. Yeah. Evidence. I I feel like you know this is something probably George felt until you know ghosts actually appeared. I bet he was a sinner. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Right then, Ali. You're about to take us on your perfect night out at the cinema. Wow. You are our guide. We are your audience. Let's oh go God. on a trip to the movies. <sighs> so we push open the doors to our temple of film and find ourselves in the foyer. There's an excited buzz, as there always is in a cinema foyer, the hum of anticipation. It's your perfect cinema trip, Ali. Who have you picked, living or dead? To go with you i've picked my younger brother who's 11 who we go and see a lot of films we go and see a lot of films together what's your what's your little brother's name 
He's called Sam. Sam. Yeah. And he's a he's eleven. Um, you don't mind me asking, how old are you, Ali? I'm I'm twenty one. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, first question is obviously being eleven. There are two ways of looking at this. Either you are going to see films that an eleven year old can see, or you're going. He is definitely fifteen. <laughs> well, I do. One thing I always do like doing is pushing, like, or taking him to twelves. Or just films that are like a, a bit of a push. I mean, mm. the last film we saw was the Avatar Way of Water. I mean, it's an amazing film. So yeah, films that maybe are a bit of a push for him. Okay, good. And so do you do you have a similar taste in films as Sam? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, he he really likes action films. He's kind of going through that phase of being like a young boy and I don't know, being slightly aggressive or whatever. So he, he really <laughs> likes. He he's really he really likes karate films. He loves the Karate Kid trilogy, and he's watching Cobra Kai. Um, but yeah, we try we try and find a bargain. The bargain that I think we find is like the Cornetto trilogy, which that that's kind of where we come together. What a, what a trilogy! What a fantastic trilogy! Yeah, right, Cornetto trilogy. I I love that. Just as an aside, what is your favorite of the Cornetto trilogy? Oh, brilliant question. I I, I always say Shaun of the Dead. I, yeah, I love it. Yeah, how about you? As I'm getting a little bit older, when I was a little bit younger, it was 100% Shaun of the Dead. But okay. <laughs> as I've got a little bit older and perhaps a little more cynical slash nostalgic, uh, The World's End has started to really appeal to me. And Simon Pegg's character in that, I've sort of gone, oh, my God, I, I do spend an inordinate amount of time going, oh, my best days behind me. Yeah, it's the darkest one of the three for sure. But it was yeah. really interesting actually working with Complete Fiction, um, who made Lockling Co. because... Naira Park and Rachel Pryor, they worked on the original Cornetto trilogy. So mm -hmm. they would always have kind of stories from the three films. That was a lot of fun. I bet. That sounds great. And also, um, I have to ask, obviously, you, you know, you're, you're taking your younger brother to the cinema. Have you ever pushed it too far? Have you taken him to something and he's got too <laughs> scared? Or you've gone, this will be fine. And it's just not fine, Ali. Well, it's, it's never usually films that I take take him to the cinema too. It's more films that we watch at home that I have like more freedom with. That maybe maybe we'll watch Baby Driver a bit too early because <laughs> there's a lot of blood in that. Right then, so you are taking your little brother, eleven year old Sam, with you to the cinema. Now there's a clock on the wall in the foyer. It reads a specific time. What time of day have we gone to the cinema? Oh, for me, evening. It's it's almost essential actually. Like you've done your day. And you can just get lost in the film without worrying about what you're going to do after. Like, end of the day, it's lovely. Busy screening them, most people. I think it's still the preferential time for most people to go to the cinema. You like that communal experience, the, the joy or the sorrow that comes with a shared cinematic experience? Yeah, you know what? I mean, this, this might sound controversial, but I, I vary. Like, sometimes I, I like to be in the cinema on my own. But then some. For, it depends on the film, I think. I don't know. Like if it's a really kind of emotional film, I kind of want to be on my own. And like Avatar was really nice to see with loads of people and hearing like the gasps and the. <gasps> I watched uh, Avatar one in a fairly busy cinema, and it, it was obviously you know it's the the godfather of the new era of 3D, and I mm. was so grateful for the glasses because I I don't like people to see me cry and that's why I, I love the dark of a cinema but even better behind those 3d glasses that tear rolling down your cheek that no one's aware of yeah no come to think of it the first avatar film 
has a few quite emotional moments. Yeah. <laughs> I think I was just crying because I'd never seen anything as beautiful as when the bioluminescent flora springs to life in Pandora, the first night sequence when Jake and uh, Nateria are there and you see this jungle come to life and you're like, oh my God, I, I think I'm actually in a waking dream. <laughs> so we're going in the evening. Do you have a specific time or just evening post 6 p.m.? Yeah, post-dinner, so you're not like hungry at the end of the film. Got you. Okay. So now you have booked the tickets for this cinema trip, Ali. Where in the auditorium are we going to be sitting? Oh, I'm, I'm quite thing with this. I, it, middle of the middle row. But also you've got to look online to see if there's anyone sitting in front of you because that, that's quite key. You never know if there could be a six-foot-five person <laughs> in front of you blocking the subtitles, the bottom bit. This is this is a real quandary then, Ali, because what we've got to look at is the middle of the middle are no doubt popular seats. So in 100%. theory, you have to book them early. But if you want to make sure there's no one in front of you, you want to be booking at the last minute before you think anyone else is still going to book the tickets. What are you going to do? This is a mind blower. It's very true. I mean, usually I just bargain. I, I go for the middle of the middle. And if there's a tall person, I if I'm going with my brother, I take the hit. We swap seats, so he's not blocked. And I mean, so nice. do, you, do you have any kind of unusual answers to that question in the past? Like, do people ever say, like, right at the edge? Or um, I, I, I can tell you quite honestly, it boils down to one thing and one thing alone. It's okay. whether you mind walking past people to go to the toilet, or that doesn't bother you at all, or you just never need to go to the toilet. <sighs> it is fundamentally a toilet based question disguised as a preference of seat. I mean, I think that's actually quite blasphemous. I, I always hold it. I think it's, you'll miss the scene. You'll miss the scene, no? I, I, listen, I agree with you. Avatar is over three hours <laughs> long. What? I mean, that's, that's impressive. You're a younger man than me. Maybe this is more <laughs> about me. All right, then. I'm putting you in the middle of the middle. And because it's your perfect night out, I am going to block out the three seats in front of you for wow. not one, but two rows just to ensure you have the perfect oh God, view. Thank you. Cheers. It's all right. That's what I can do. Right. The air. Oh, the air in the foyer. It's full of wonderful smells. All manner of snacks and foodstuffs are available at the various counters. What are you going to choose to eat? So this is very unusual, but what I always take to the cinema is like a tangerine. <laughs> like in my, <laughs> in my pocket. <laughs> It's then like, I don't know. It's like, I, I don't know. It's, it's like you can have like a salty kind of, you can have crisps or popcorn mm. and then it gets rid of the saltiness, but it's also like sweet. Yeah. It's okay. crazy. It is crazy. I, there's no judgment here, Matt. There is absolutely <laughs> no judgment. You want to take a tangerine in your pocket? You can take a kumquat on your, on your, around <laughs> your neck. I, I honestly, I'm never going to judge you. So a tangerine in your pocket. Are, are, are we suggesting here that you think there may be a missed opportunity in cinema foyers that there should be a tangerine stand? 100% because I think they're a snack that they don't make any noise. They're True. sweet. They're nice. They're healthy, mm. which is a big thing. What's not to like? You, you might have seen something here that some of the major cinema chains in this country <laughs> have missed. We are a generation of health freaks now, and certainly the option of a healthier snack in the foyer of the cinema might be a thing. All right, okay, a tangerine <laughs> in your pocket. Um, now, obviously, that comes with juice built in, uh, famously, exactly. to a, a tangerine. Are, are you going to take a drink with your tangerine? 
probably just some water. I'm quite boring. But yeah. I, I literally are you are you are you on some special diet because you're becoming an action star and you need to you need to be really shredded in the near future. No, I mean oh oh I love a tango ice blast to be fair. <laughs> That's so good. Yeah. There he is. There, there we go. You just you just gotta pick away a little bit and the truth comes out. Maybe a water or or <laughs> a vat of tango ice blast. Oh, I can do a vat. I'm giving you a tangerine and tango ice blast. All wow. sorts of orangey goodness. Popcorn, sweet or salted? Mixed. Is that controversial? Is that no, it's actually a very popular choice. I'd say we're on okay. about a, an 80-20 from uh, mixed to the remaining two, just salt or sweet. No Most way. people go for a mix. What What is it about a mix that does it for you? Just the completely changing dynamic of the taste sensation. Uh, it's just best of both worlds. It's, you know, it's also I'm indecisive. So you get, you know, it's, it's being on the fence. Well, you, you say you're in, <laughs> indecisive. I, I've never had a, what do you choose to eat? A tangerine answered <laughs> so fast. So I'm <laughs> not sure how indecisive you are, but... We have got everything we need to leave the foyer now. We're going to walk down the corridor towards the auditorium. I'm going to put up posters along the cinema wall to illustrate some of your most important movie memories. And the first poster I'm going to put up depicts your fondest movie memory. What is it? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I'll talk about... Okay, so there was one time when I was, I think, 17 or 18, The Irishman came out. And at that time, I was going for a big kind of Scorsese, De Niro phase. I'd seen Taxi Driver, Raging Bull. I'd seen Goodfellas and I was like, Casino as well. And I was like, oh my God, I have to watch this now. I have to watch this as soon as possible. But it was coming out on a Friday. And the first screening in London was, I think, at 10 a.m. on a school day. So I formulated an intricate plan with my mates so that they could kind of coordinate with teachers that I could sneak out of school go watch The Irishman in the middle of the day and come back to school unnoticed. <laughs> and it was, it, it, yeah, it was amazing. So, I, I, I mean, I don't know whether any of your teachers listen specifically to this podcast, The Trip oh, to the shit. Movies, yeah. but is this some kind of admission? Does, have you still to this day got away with literally skiving off school to see The Irishman? You know what, I have. So if you're a teacher, <laughs> one of my past teachers listening to this, I'm sorry um but it was worth it it was it was worth it it was yeah okay so we'll get, let's talk about the irishman in a second i just i just want to let you know that there is a certain amount of jealousy coming from me right now because i skived off school to watch the crow uh the 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 original brandon lee crow in a movie theater and me and my friends weren't quite as smart as you because you have you have good friends who covered for you my friends and i just all did it together and oh. expected no one to go they all seem to be off at the same time, despite having been at school in the morning. So, yeah, we got we got into trouble. So I didn't get I'm away with it. I'm sorry to hear that. So why did you love The Irishman, though? Because um, it's a, it's a, you saw it on the big screen because a lot of people never got the chance yeah. to see it on the big screen. Oh, wow. What was that like? It was great. It was so, like, I, I remember feeling, like, initially quite stressed, like, going into the cinema, like, oh, my God, is this going to work? But then for, I don't know, the three hours, it was a long film, but I just got so lost in it that I, I didn't care about the stress of getting in trouble or the fact that I was missing school. But yeah, it was, it was such an amazing experience as well to see them all reunited. Great stuff. So I'm putting up a poster for the Irishman. Right, the second poster as we continue down the corridor depicts your worst movie memory. What is it? 
Oh, so, okay. This is actually something that I, I spoke about recently in my stand-up. And it's, I took my brother to see Matilda, the musical. And about 15 minutes into the film, a group of three teenagers came in and walked and sat in the back row. And every time there would be like an intimate or emotional scene, they would shout the C word. Oh my God. And this was like a cinema packed with toddlers and like babysitters and really young children. And it was horrendous. And they were just, they, they were, they were horrible. <laughs> I mean, yes, that's a fact. <laughs> uh, what on earth persuaded them? Did, did anyone get up and say anything? I guess you don't. I don't know that I, I don't think I would have got up if they, if they're using the C word in a, an auditorium like that. Well, okay, so this is where I, I'm quite selfish in that I saw, I said something, it didn't work, but I noticed a few people went out of the cinema to speak to the kind of the clerks at the cinema and say, mm-hmm. listen, there are some rowdy kids at the back. Can you sort it out? That worked. That was the right thing to do. I instead shouted at them pathetically because I didn't want to miss a scene of Matilda. <laughs> well, actually, if I wasn't a selfish so-and-so, I would have just gone out and said, please, can you remove these kids? But I, I, I didn't want to sacrifice a scene of Matilda because it, it was a really good film. I, I'm, I'm impressed with your commitment to, no, to a movie. No, you shouldn't um, be. Alex, I, I, I am. Look, you, this is a safe space. This is a safe space, <laughs> Ali. We can talk about how selfish we are when it comes to watching film. Um, oh, so you do stand-up as well. I'm I'm so sorry. Normally, my research covers everything. How long have you been doing stand-up? No, very. Th- this is very new. This is like, very new. But it was it was actually, the, the routine does focus on the, the, like three principles I have when it comes to cinema. So yeah, you should check it out. I, I certainly will do. I, do I have to come and see you live? Have you uploaded it to uh, the it's, it's, interweb? Yeah, there's, there's a clip on YouTube. If you search up my name and stand-up comedy, it should come up. Brilliant. So how, many gigs, how many gigs have you done so far? Then? Oh, just, oh, just the one. Okay, so this really is. This, <laughs> sorry, that wasn't like, what? That's not a... But that's... No, it's it's, so you've like, just it's very, started. very fresh, yeah. What persuaded you to do stand-up? Well, so one of the producers on Bad Education, actually... Um, she runs a comedy club and she had a spare spot and she offered it. And I was like, yeah, well, I mean, why not? Let's give it a try. And tell me, I, I, I used to do stand-up many moons ago. So no way. How, how, how did your first gig go? Oh, it, was, it was so much fun. It was, I, I loved it. You got a good reaction then? Because that's, that's, that's the main thing. You did not die. Because I died on my first gig uh, appallingly. Oh, it was... I'd, I'd been watching too much Eddie Izzard and didn't realize that what Eddie Izzard um, does is construct uh, fantastic jokes that just seem like whimsy and surrealness. And to just go on stage and do whimsy and surrealness is not funny. Okay. Mm. But yours was all Did right, you? huh? Yeah. Yeah, it was. I got lucky, I guess. I don't know. Luck has nothing to do with it. I'm no, sure I, had a lot of, I had a lot of friends in the audience who I just made, like, you know, laugh loudly. Okay, well, that may have had something to do with it, but nevertheless, I'm gonna come. <laughs> I'm gonna come and see you at some point, but I'm certainly gonna watch your video online. Right then, we're putting up a poster of Matilda to remind you of those awful teenagers. Oh. All right, the third poster, as we continue down the corridor, depicts the last performance that brought you to tears. What is it? So I watched Brief Encounter for the first time this week, and. I believe I believe the actress's name is Celia Johnson, mm-hmm. but the the lead the lead woman in that yeah that that brought me to tears. I I, I thought it was an amazing film, and 
Yeah. So uh, her performance was so powerful, I thought. Okay. Full disclosure, never seen Brief Encounter. Right. Tell me what it is about her performance that brought you, Ali, to tears. I think it's, she, she kind of, ha- throughout the film, she has these, it's from her point of view, and she has these internal monologues. And uh, there are a lot of shots that just push in on her face, which she has a voiceover over. And I, I, it's just, she's, she's, there literally would have been shots of her just doing nothing for about five minutes or so. And she's still, like, it's so powerful and so strong that, yeah, it, it made me cry. And I think there's kind of a half remake with De Niro and Meryl Streep. But I, I, I preferred the original. It was so good. Right then. A poster for Brief Encounter goes up. And uh, as we continue our last part of the journey down the corridor, our final poster that I'm going to put up depicts your unpopular movie opinion. <sighs> I've got so many. Oh my, <laughs> okay. Okay. No, this is, okay, this is what I'm going to go with. The Incredibles, the 2004 Pixar film by Brad Bird, is, from what I'm aware of, the best superhero movie of all time. It Bear with me. I'm listening. It is the only superhero film that I've seen that addresses the novelty of being a superhero. So it makes fun of capes, of the evil guy monologuing at the end, the kind of contrast between your secret identity and hero identity. But also whilst having that fun... It's just amazingly written. There are amazing action sequences. The design of it all is amazing. The kind of volcanic base that takes inspiration from You Only Live Twice. It's, 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 it's just bloody brilliant. I mean, I'm not going to disagree. It's 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 a very, very good film. Uh, Edna Mode, she was a real high point in the Pixar. She's one of their greatest characters. For sure, yeah. Voiced, voiced by Brad Bird as well, who right. wrote and directed it. It was crazy, yeah. I mean, one thing that may back me up as well is I think it's one of, it's one of the few superhero movies that got nominated for Best Screenplay, which I, I don't know many other superhero films that did. Maybe Logan, I think, did. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's a genre that is quite often snubbed. Shall we say snubbed by the Oscars? It's an it's an interesting question. I mean, would you like to see other superhero movies perhaps be regarded as award potential movies, or are they just always going to be popcorn fodder that the Academy and other awards bodies are never going to reward? Well, I'm I'm not sure. If they're like The Incredibles, then they sh- they're not popcorn fodder because The Incredibles is a masterpiece. And I mean, it, what what superhero films jump out as you as close competition? Maybe like Spider Man Two, The Dark Knight. What would you say? I mean, that, these this this is you literally literally one step ahead of me. So I was going to quite simply ask. So you are saying The Incredibles is better than Avengers Endgame? <laughs> yeah, I am. It's better than Avengers Infinity War. I, yeah, I would have to say so. Okay, In I mean, my let's, books. let's use a couple of yours. The Incredibles is better than The Dark. <laughs> Night. I think that they were rule of three in this. I gave you two, which could be easier options. You are saying The Incredibles is better than The Dark Knight. Okay, it's hard to say better objectively, but for me, for me, it, it holds a stronger place in my heart. There's a lot of things that The Dark Knight does that The Incredible can't do in in terms of just incredible performances. I mean, most notably Heath Ledger's, which you know is so well regarded. But I, I just think it goes back to the, the novelty, like you know, when you see in The Dark Knight. The Christian Bale's Batman suit cape just flying about. That brings me back to The Incredibles. That takes the piss out of it, which actually is so groundbreaking that it makes me see every single love of superhero film differently. 
Yeah, I've never watched a superhero film that's done that. That's completely changed how I view every other film in the genre. I love it. I mean, like, listen, it is your unpopular opinion. And <laughs> what, what you just said, actually, I, I think maybe on some subconscious level, I've never realized this, but the bit in The Dark Knight where Batman is on the bat pod and his cape is flapping behind him, I'm always taken out of that scene because I'm like, that cape is inches away from being caught in those tires and I can't relax. Did Ed and the Mode make you think that? <laughs> or is that just you? This is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking <laughs> the Incredibles as osmotically has entered me and I'm like, <laughs> bad idea wearing that cape. I think in reality, the cape isn't there because that would happen. I think it's a CGI cape that they added in post-production in The Dark Knight, probably really? for that reason. No way. That's really interesting. Yeah. And also, it, what, I mean, how many Pixar movies do we know where the villain actually gets killed at the end? There aren't that many, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's, it's got, it's, it goes to dark places. I think you're right. It really does. I mean, it pushes the boundary of the PG rating that you see a guy crash into a cliff. On. I mean, that's another thing I love about it. There's so many cool gadgets. I think it's, I, I would call it a perfect film. I think it's flawless. Okay, well, <laughs> The Incredibles being a perfect film is not an unpopular movie opinion, but The Incredibles being the best superhero movie of all time, I think, enters the arena of unpopular opinion. It, yeah. It's going up. A poster for The Incredibles. All right, then. Our journey towards the auditorium is over because we have arrived at the last set of doors. Now, there is a queue of people hoping to join you and Sam in the auditorium. You've said you don't mind it when it's quiet. You quite like that, but you said you also like a crowd. Are we letting them in or not? Oh, wow. We're going to let them in. We're going to be, yeah. Well, the crowd goes wild. They're pouring into the auditorium. Everyone's taking their seats. You've got two rows blocked out in front of you with no one <laughs> in them. You and Sam are sitting in the middle seats of the middle row before we get to the movie you've played there's a few things i'd like to do first of all we are going to pick the trailer that you want to see what film are you most looking forward to i'll play the trailer i would have said maxine uh the the kind of third film in the the the, the x trilogy by t west mm. if i'm with my brother i'm gonna go, probably barbie i'm really excited for barbie it looks really really interesting isn't it sort of like <laughs> you sort of like you heard they were making a barbie movie and then you're like um, okay, and there you go. Greta Gerwig's directing it. Margot yeah. Robbie's it. Ryan Gosling. Why are you excited about it? I mean, literally, the reasons you just said. I, the people attached to it are so obviously Greta Gerwig, Noah Baumbach. I, I, I've loved all of their films, and obviously Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling. Yeah, it's really exciting. Let me ask you a slightly controversial question. What do you think? There was a little bit of uproar about Ryan Gosling's look as Ken when they released that first still. It wasn't what people necessarily thought Ken should look like. What 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 did you think? Do you actually have any skin in this game? Really? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I didn't know there was uproar, but I think I, I, I thought he looked great, personally. How about you? I mean, I remember... Ken being a brunette, classically, and him okay. having bleached blonde hair, I was, I, was, <laughs> I mean, I don't even get this passionate about superhero costumes when they redo those. And yet, for some reason, I'm like, Ken had, Ken was a brunette, and that is not brunette. <laughs> is, it, is it for representation for yourself as a brunette? <laughs> yeah, I was, I, 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 was, I was very much, I was, I was like, I, 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 brunettes are not getting their fair due now. <laughs> 
I was uh, I was a little bit perturbed, but yeah, I think that's a great choice. Right, we'll play the trailer for Barbie. Okay. So next up, we're going to play your favorite shot or sequence from a film. Oh Jesus, that is a that is a really tough question. Okay, you know what? Because I think I'm with my brother. I'm going to go with the stair scene in Untouchables by Brian De Palma when they're in the train station and Andy Garcia does the kind of cool shot. Yeah, I'm going to go with that. It's so amazing that sequence, isn't it? I'll, I'll tell. I feel like I, I'm 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 questioning your decision making. I'm not. I this is a personal gripe that I have for that yeah, that, that sequence. I no no one ever goes. I've got a pram and a suitcase. What I'll do <laughs> is I'll move the suitcase one step at a time, then try and bring the pram up one step. And it's like take the suitcase to the top of the stairs, then take the pram to the top of the stairs. Surely. Yeah, I mean that, that that's a very good point that I've I've never thought about before. That, Alex, you've got me in a corner here. <laughs> I did I didn't mean to. And I, I I'm being petty because what a phenomenal sequence. I you love that movie in general, I take it. Yeah, no, I, yeah. It's, it's such a great film. The the, the the performances of the main four and De Niro and just uh, the way it's shot as well by De Palma. Yeah, it's it's such a special film. I mean that he's what a towering performance as Al Capone De Niro gives. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, every scene is like just like this huge, I mean, intentionally like this grandstanding monologue that he gives. He's so good in it. Yeah. I mean, well, that's another point. Like we talk about picking a sequence. There are so many sequences that I could pick to be my favorite sequence just within that film. Like you've got the stair sequence, you've got the baseball sequence with Al Capone. <laughs> You've got the kind of busting open sequence with the axes. Oh, the, 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 oh I'm not. I'm not. That's a spoiler. I mean, I, I 1987. I reckon we're allowed a spoiler. For well, yeah, Sean, Sean Connery's death scene is just, I think, so brilliant as well. Yeah, a great movie. I, I, I love De Niro in it. I want him dead. I want his family dead. I want his house burnt <laughs> to the ground. I want him piss on his ashes. Yeah, that's brilliant. So let's go back to the stair sequence because that is the one you picked. We went off piece there, yeah. but what is it about that stair sequence? I, I obviously know it's it's taken from the battleship Potemkin. It's a reworking of this famous sequence from this old Russian movie. What do okay. you love about it? I think just the, the suspense that builds gradually. And then I think it's just how badass Andy Garcia is, to be honest. Like when he, you know, he does the slide, grabs the pram, and then it's like you got the shot and then he's yeah. got it. And it's, yeah, it's just so cool. It is. It's that. It's that last bit. It's after everything has taken place. All there's everything, and and he's like, and you know, he's got the shot. And I think, I think, uh, Kevin Costner's last words are something like, "Take it, like take the shot, like do yeah. it, or something like that." And like you're like, "Woo!" <laughs> All right, we're playing the stair sequence from the Untouchables. Uh, now, Ali, you've done something very kind. You've printed out T-shirts as a gift for our audience. With your favorite movie quote on the front, what is your favorite movie quote? Oh, so, okay, so another sequence that I really love is the prison sequence in Goodfellas. Um, and there's a quote in that where one of them says to the other, how do you want your steak? Medium rare. And then he replies, ah, an aristocrat. And uh, yeah, I, find, I think it's really funny. <laughs> that prison sequence is good, isn't it? Because 
you know they've gone to prison. You're like, oh man, prison, and then you see them in prison, and <laughs> they're living in the lap of luxury. Yeah, it's brilliant, and with beyond the sea in the background, yeah, it's amazing. And also the whole thing with you know, don't put too many onions in the sauce, and is two onions? He's picking two onions. Oh, yeah, it's brilliant. All right, how about this? We'll have, oh, an aristocrat on the T-shirt because I think that's going to make people go, oh, wait, I think I know that. And it's a talking point, a great talking point. Good point. That'll probably fit as well rather than, you know, that whole three lines. Right. It's going on the T-shirt. We're going to have those printed out in time for our audience when they leave the auditorium. But one more thing to do before we get to the movie you have picked for us, and that is to play your favorite song or score from a film what is it oh my god okay so my, my favorite is just probably the the soundtrack of taxi driver but i'm gonna go with i'm gonna go with the sound the score the soundtrack of et because i think it's so optimistic and fun and it'll be brilliant for people walking into the cinema the score this is i'm a, this is a john williams score to et yeah so- it's john williams so when did you first see E.T.? Were you young? Did you come? To, I came to E.T. Uh, no, I was going to tell her, Fib. I saw it quite young and I didn't enjoy it because I'd never been made to cry by a film before. And I remember sitting at a cinema and every child in there was crying and I was one of them. Really? And I was like, why am I watching something that makes me cry? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I probably watched it at a similar age when I was really young. And yeah, it, yeah, I'm getting emotional now just thinking about it, which is crazy. It, what, what an amazing film. What What is it about E.T. that really that gets you? Is there a moment where you just like, you just can't help but emote? Like those tears just, they come. Yeah, you know what? For me, it's always at just the, the, the iconic shot when he's, I believe it's Elliot, isn't it? Mm, it is. I think, yeah, Elliot is cycling. And he cycles past the moon, which has, you know, become the Amblin kind of logo. And particularly with John Williams' score, the... Yeah, sit in the back. It's it's so powerful. It's it's amazing. I think the bit that got me is maybe the bit where Steven Spielberg in a big family movie kills E.T. E.T. (laughs) dies. Like, you watch this lovable alien that has been dressed up in fancy dresses, you know, gone on this journey. You're like, he is dead and he looks really weird or white. And it's quite upsetting. No, it is. And the the kid's performance. Yeah, well, his performance is so bloody good that you cry for him. And oh, yeah. He did have a, a, a way of directing children that he just got these incredible performances from them, whether it's E.T., Close Encounters. And I think famously, this is because Steven Spielberg is, you know, like a big kid himself. You know, he gets caught up mm. in the wonder and he attaches that wonder to a kid's performance. Yeah, it certainly works. Right. Then. I saw round in Temple of Doom as well, actually. I think that's such a good performance by Key. Uh, <sighs> Isn't it a mate? What what a what a journey. We're we're sitting here recording this before the Oscars, but he is like yeah. uh, Kei Hui Kwan is favorite to win Best Supporting Actor. Is he? Yeah. I really hope he does. Did you uh, yeah. did you love that movie? That movie seems to just have this huge groundswell of support, and it's this feel good movie. It's nominated for 11, 11 Oscars, everything, yeah. everywhere, all at once. Yeah, no, I, I loved it so much. Um, Actually, Edgar did a, a screening here in London, which um, me, Cameron, and Ruby got to see. 
we were fortunate enough to watch it and it was just so it was amazing such a special film which i feel like i'm saying about all the films we're saying and i need to find a more nuanced answer but that, that, that is just the way I, I i can describe it it's so good so was that edgar wright who did the screening in london yeah sorry edgar wright yeah that's cool did did, did he do an introduction was there a little q a did you get to hear from anyone yeah he did and the yeah the daniels the daniels uh, not brothers but the daniels directors were there yeah, I, I also found out that they directed t- the turn down for what music video, which I never knew. And I remember yeah. that being quite a big kind of thing when it came out when I was like 13. But yeah. So I think the race, not to turn this into the Oscars prediction podcast, but I think okay. the race for best director is between Daniels, Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinart and Spielberg for the Fablemans. So you got a tough call there because we were just talking about E.T. being one of your favourite oh, films. Oh, no, please. I don't know. Have you seen the Fablemans? I have, yeah. I'm, I've been fortunate enough to see all the, the noms, the best picture, and I loved Fablemans as well. I thought it was such an amazing... Have, have you been fortunate enough to see it? Yeah, I have, yeah. It's, what did you it's, think? It's good. It's I, It's good. Uh, that's. Oh, okay. I, I mean, I, I, it's. Let me put it like this: it's not, it's not my favorite for for best picture. Um, you know, okay. I thought, I thought Tar, the Kate Blanchett film, was. Uh, I didn't expect to like it as much as I did. I sort of watched it for the first hour. I'm like, what am I watching? And then that second hour is just like, wow! Did you see it? I'm completely with you. Like at the beginning, the kind of the first hour, you're like, I, I don't really know where this is going, and then it shifts into gear, and you're like. Oh my god, this is really good. Yeah, oh, no, I know. I thought Fablemans was really, really good. To be honest, I, I loved it. Um, who could I call for best director? I, I, I don't know. I, I wish them all the best. To be honest. Okay, well let's let's make let's make it less personal. Best picture. What would you like to see best win? Best picture. Is there one that's touched you more than all the others? You know what? I'm I'm gonna go with everything, everywhere, all at once. Just you know, being an A24 film, being I feel like it's probably one of the lower budgeted ones. Um, and I think it'd be it'd just be a big moment. I feel like if it won Best Picture, I think that's a great shout. And that is also what I think is going to win Best Picture. So uh, right. we're in agreement there. In agreement. Okay. Right then, it is that moment. That moment where you announced to our excited audience in this packed auditorium the headline movie, the movie that you have picked out of all others to screen tonight. What film are we watching, Ali? Okay, so I was I was gonna pick Dead Poet Society because I, I was thinking of films that I want to watch with my brother that I watched around when I was around his age that really meant a lot to me. But you know what? I, I think I've bottled it. I think I don't want to cry in the cinema. I want I want to, I want a really kind of happy experience. So we're gonna go with Jackie Chan's Police Story. Um, I want to watch that with my brother, and yeah. This is great because your brother, you said already, he loves martial arts movies. Has he yet? Has he seen Police Story yet? No, and we we've got to because I want to watch. Can we make it a double bill and do Police Story One and Two? Is that okay? I mean, normally <laughs> no, but I, I I'm feeling I don't know why I'm feeling pretty generous right now, and because they are part of the same series, I think yeah, that makes sense. Wow, thank you so much. That was very kind. So, when did you first see Police Story? Very recently, like I think actually while I was filming Lockwood and Co. and I think one of the stunt guys recommended it to me on the shoot. 
And then we just end, I saw it and we ended up talking about it, me and the stunt guys, for hours and hours because they had all these cool kind of facts about it. Like the fact that the village in Police Story 2 that they drive through is completely built for the film, which I, f- I find incredible. So do you think Sam is going to, I assume he's going to love it, right? I, I think he will. I think he will. I- so to, to, to whet Sam's appetite when he undoubtedly listens to this podcast to hear his older brother talk about film, um, tell, tell me, uh, the people who haven't seen Police Story, what is the basic premise of Police Story? So the basic premise is Jackie, Ta- Jackie Chan is kind of like your classic police story, a cop trying to do good, trying to become like the best policeman he can and <sighs> gets in deeper shit, finds a woman. And for me, particularly... The, the, the final sequence of both films, actually, but the first film in particular is worth the whole, I don't know, the whole movie alone because every stunt you see is real. Uh, Jackie Chan actually does what he did in the film. Brilliant behind the scenes videos on it. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, you know, what an incredible performer, actor, stuntman, martial artist. The fact that Jackie Chan did all those stunts because i went through a, a phase sort of um i think i must have been about 16 17 when me and my friends we used to we just would have jackie chan marathons and watch all his old no movies Can I, let me throw in another suggestion that uh you've probably seen or you may have seen uh, but some may well like another jackie chan movie called wheels on meals it's i haven't seen that it's fantastic it's it's okay. got just this incredible fight sequence between jackie chan and um a very famous martial artist who I think trained a, a, a lot of uh, choreographed a lot of fights we, we've seen on screen called Benny the Jet. And, no um, way. Yeah, Wheels on Meals. That's my recommendation. I'm, I'm there. I'm there. I also, I mean, I also talking about Jackie Chan. I think I heard him say that when he was directing and acting in Police Story, he would film that in the night, and in the day he was working on another film, and he would have to sleep in the car between the two films, and that <laughs> is crazy. Like that is like. That man's work ethic and commitment to filmmaking is why he is a legend. Police Story is the film we're going to play with the added bonus of Police Story 2. Wow. That's it, Ali. The curtains have closed. The guests are milling out, smiling, chatting, and thanking you for taking them on an incredible night out at the movies. But before you go, it's time for this week's mystery question. As we ask... Mm -hmm. What's in the box? I saw you with the box. What was in the box? Oh, what's in the box? Here's the box. It's immersive. <laughs> All right. Your question is, as the star of the ghost-infused Lockwood & Co., what, in your opinion, is the best movie involving ghosts or the supernatural? Oh, all the supernatural. Yeah, I think we've. I brought with the mystery question. It, it's been it's been broadened out for you. I'm seeing it for the first time. This is a journey we're going on together, so you can take your time. Okay, brilliant. If it's the supernatural, I'm gonna go with the House of the Devil by T West. Um, stars Greta Gerwig as well um, in a, in an early acting role. It's filmed, I think, around 2007. I want to say, but has the style of an 80s horror movie. Um, it's brilliant. And obviously T West has had a lot of success recently with X. Um, so yeah. Okay. House of the devil. That's great. If you, did you want to narrow it down to just ghosts and give a second option or you just want to, you You know what? I'm afraid I I, I don't, I struggle to think of many ghost films other than ghostbusters. 
Yeah, I don't think there is another answer. I think you said Ghost. It's, it's, it's Ghostbusters. And obviously X, brilliant film. Not one for Psalm for a while. Yeah. He's going to have to wait for that. <laughs> it is, uh, it's a full-on movie, but it's great, isn't it? Yeah, X was so good. And I think actually recently I feel like we're really going for a really great moment of horror films. Like last year alone, you know, we had um, Smile, Barbarian, Bodies, Bodies, oh. Bodies was great. Yeah. I feel like every time I go to the cinema and see a horror film, I have a, a really great time. So, Barbarian, yeah. how structurally, just to be, let's, we can geek out for a moment. Structurally, <laughs> what a brave movie where you're like, okay, I think I'm into this. Uh, uh huh, Bill Skarsgård. Oh, is he evil? Is he not? How about we don't see those characters for the next 20 minutes <laughs> and just follow an entirely different character played by Justin Long? Yeah, it's it's brilliant. And I think it's such a brilliant kind of balance between comedy and horror. And I such a yeah, it's such I, I I also love when it, you know, cuts back to explain how how the house ended up as being this kind of haunted house. And it doesn't it does it within like a five minute flashback. No kind of dialogue, no words, just following this man. I yeah, it's brilliant. It is. Um, and uh, you obviously uh, you've seen Pearl as well, the follow up to X. Yes, yeah. I, I I can't wait to see. Uh, it's Maxine, isn't it? The final. Yeah, film with and, like three uh, X's in the middle. Oh, good choice. Good choices there. Right then. So, Ali, your taxi has arrived now to ferry you back to reality. But before you go. Let's recap your perfect night out at the cinema. You are going with your 11-year-old brother, Sam, in the evening, sometime post 6 p.m. You were sitting in the middle row, in the middle seats, and because, what the hell, I'm a good guy. I've blocked out the seats in front of you. You have a perfect view of the screen. You are taking to eat a tangerine <laughs> in your pocket, and then when you get there... You're going to push the boat out. You're not having the water. You're having a tango ice blast and some mixed popcorn. We are putting up posters for the Irishman, Matilda, Brief Encounter, and the greatest superhero movie in the history of cinema, (laughs) The Incredibles. We are then watching the trailer for Greta Gerwig's Barbie. We are playing the stair sequence from The Untouchables. We are putting a quote on a t-shirt for our audience. Oh, an aristocrat. Before we play the score from E.T. and watch Police Story and Police Story 2. Ali, have you had a good time? Yeah, best time ever. (laughs) Thank you for taking us on a trip to the movies and goodbye goodbye thank you and as ali's cab carries him away from our virtual cinema off into the distance it's your chance to win a pair of tickets for a night out at a very real odeon cinema as i said at the start the lovely people at odeon have given us a pair of tickets to give away every week and if you'd like the chance of getting these tickets all you have to do is leave us a review of the show on Apple Podcasts. It's that simple. You can get in touch with us as well on our socials, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, where we are at Trip to Movies Pod. The competition is only open to UK residents, and the tickets exclude Odeon Leicester Square and Odeon Lux. And just before I say my final farewell for this episode, don't forget you can find the full ad-free video interview for today's 
Ali Hadji Heshmati interview and indeed every guest we've ever had on the show over on our trip to the movies Patreon as well as early access to the podcast too and if you'd like to get a taste of those video interviews why not subscribe to our trip to the movies YouTube channel and that really is it I'll be back next week when another famous film fan takes us on a trip to the movies bye bye